What's up, Dialed fam? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And I am Amber Simon, the project manager of dialedhealth.com. And today we are sitting down with Ryan Fear, who got in touch with me through Instagram. And it was someone who really intrigued me because he is currently the Arizona performance coordinator for the Cleveland Indians and has a degree in applied physiology and kinesiology from the University of Florida. Now, those are big resume builders, but what's even more important is that he's a cyclist. He is a mountain biker, mostly cross country, rides some trail, and also uses trainer road. So that combination is what really had me thinking like, wow, this could be someone great to talk to who really understands sports science, especially in working with athletes, but also has the personal experience of riding and could really interpret the two together because that changes so much, at least uh, from my own experience of what I've learned. So I went and dove deeper into Ryan and found out that he has some really good blog posts. And I read one of them specifically about muscle activation and isometrics, and which is kind of a spoiler because it's really what you can do if you don't have any weight at home or like any type of equipment and you want some progressive overload for your body. So you really want to stress your body and get stronger without any available tools. So that whole basically introduction was to get to tell you that that's why this podcast is happening. And I, after talking to him, had an absolute blast. And you'll notice that it was just me talking to him and not Amber. And and why is that, Amber? Because my kid was puking, okay? Like, <laughs> she was ralphing hard at school. I had to pick her up. So she's good. She's got a bucket. She's in bed. And we're back to podcasting. Oh, that's brutal. Amber texted me like 20 minutes before the episode started and be like, yep, this is what's happening. So I was like, okay, I'm going to interview Ryan by myself and that's totally fine. We can do the rest of the episode as we normally would. So improvise, improvise. Yeah, absolutely. So improvise and stay consistent. Improvise, stay consistent. So after that conversation with Ryan, which I know you guys are going to love, what are we going to get into next, Amber? Well, we're doing member questions again, which I think is a great added segment. But this week we are doing opinions on the reefer, Mary Jane, the cannabis. (laughs) And I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to talk about this because I feel kind of passionate, which is weird to say, but looking forward to it. I'm happy you feel passionate because this is one of those where I don't feel awkward, but I already know I'm going to sound like a complete goober during this conversation. So I I don't know. I'm going to have to like take myself back 10 years in my own life and like talk about this like I would if I was standing next to someone at a college party, maybe passing a joint side to side. So anyways, okay. After that, we go into announcements and- Yeah. (laughs) These announcements are really cool because there's a lot uh, going on, as there always is with Dialed Health. And I want to let you guys know exactly what that is. We're going to have it at the end of the episode. So if you are a Dialed Fan member and you really want to know what's happening with the back end of the business, stay tuned for that. And one thing I do want to mention is that we are officially trying this week with the two separate episodes and having weekly thoughts as something separate, which is good because I had a lot happen this week personally on the bike, like all sorts of stuff that I do want to talk about. So it's the perfect time to just go on a flat out rant. And not to mention, I had a member reach out and tell me that they missed the quotes to open up the episode. Amber, do you remember very recently when I was doing the quotes every episode? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And I actually forgot that you did that. But now that you say that, I really like that as an inclusion on our episode. So yeah, we should get back to that. 
Me too. I don't even know what happened to that because I love doing it. And when they DM me and said, yo, I really missed the quotes. Like, and everyone's always so cool when they give criticism. It's very constructive. They'll be like, okay, what the heck happened to the quotes? I loved it. I love the podcast. Keep doing your thing. And I literally just DM'd them back and said, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> I completely forgot about that, but it is something I want to bring back. So that'll probably be included into the weekly thoughts episode as well. I still don't know when that's going to come out, but stay tuned for that. And without further ado, let's jump into episode 97 with Ryan Fair. So Ryan, we're going to jump right into it and talk about muscle activation because it is a point I've Try to really drive to the dialed fam over and over again, but really with your credentials, with your background in science, I think that you can knock this one out of the park. And no pun intended. We know I gave you an introduction with your baseball background. Let us know about muscle activation. Great question. So I hear that term used all the time, right? It's a pretty common term used now in fitness circles and the sport industry activation. So you teed me up really well and I appreciate you throwing the credentials all out there, but I'm hopefully going to make it a really simple response and hopefully not too simple. But essentially what we're, what we're talking about is the ability to tell your muscles to do work. Okay. So just to, to roll it back a little bit with, with some of the science of what's going on in the, the physiology, your central nervous system, which is your brain, your brain stem and your spinal cord, they basically are the things that tell your muscles to do work. So anytime that you want to do anything, whether it's stand up, walk, breathe, breathe being involuntary, but more voluntary actions, lift weights or, you know, hop on your bike, your central nervous system has to tell your muscles to do that work, has to tell them to contract. For that to happen, quite literally is an electrical current that is sent from your central nervous system down through your nerves into your muscles and your muscle fibers. So to activate literally means to essentially turn the muscles on and tell them to do work. Now to take it just one step further, when people talk about it, like, so I'm going to do my glute bridges to get activated. Essentially what they're really referring to is just to, to enhance their warm up. Because essentially your, your muscles, because it is an electrical current working with the central nervous system, it's not always just this on off switch. Like you flip the switch on and everything turns on really bright. Sometimes they come on a little dim. Sometimes different lights turn on at different times, meaning different muscles in different orders. In order to groove whatever patterns you're going to do, maybe in your lift or, or you know, the, the cyclical action you're going to do on the bike and the pedal, you want to try to groove that ahead of time and basically tell your body what's about to come, except what's about to come is going to be at a higher rate, higher intensity. So by grooving that ahead of time, while you're also increasing the temperature of the muscle in the body, getting the blood flowing, basically allows that activation to not only occur maybe more powerfully, but also to do so in a coordinated manner that you want, like the muscles actually turning on at the right time in the right sequence to do the movement, you know, at a really high level like you want it to. I really like the way you put it in regards to enhancing your warm up because you can do a general warm up especially when your body is working the way it should be you know i've had a lot of workouts where i jump in and i feel good and i literally feel like i can just do a very steady state cardio warm up and i'm ready to go but most of the time because i'm jacked up as a injured constantly injured bike rider i have to do some form of activation to actually feel my best and like i'm ready and so for myself personally, I always bring up some IT band issues I deal with. This could be doing some hip activation to help my hips turn on so that the muscles on the lateral or outside of my leg don't overcompensate and get too tight. 
for people who have maybe some shoulder impingement issues, this could be you doing a band retraction or a band pull apart to get your scapula engaged and all the muscles that retract your shoulder blades and get you in a healthy posture for your even your push-ups. Because that way, you know, you will still be using your back a little bit and some stabilizers through your shoulders to assist the push-up and make sure that your chest isn't doing 100% of it. Because it's going to do the majority, but you need to have everything firing for, for you to really get the benefit from the exercise that you want, aka not further any compensations or make any sort of problem that you have worse than it already is. So the enhancement part of the warm-up is a really good way to say it, and that's why it's so important. And so what I've noticed, Ryan, training people is that they can come into my studio and literally do some form of an activation type workout, especially if it's day one. Let's say a road cyclist comes in day one. We're not going to do anything crazy, but maybe we will do band pull aparts. We'll do some. Uh, we'll do some lateral tube walks. Maybe we'll do some hip hinging or some light, you know, kettlebell deadlifts or something. They didn't necessarily get stronger, and you could argue that their body's more broken down the next day after the session. But a lot of times they'll come in and say, "Dude, I just had my craziest power numbers ever on the bike." I mean, I've had people do my mobility program of just foam rolling in some minor quote unquote activation that I almost wouldn't even quantify as strength training and they'll go put out bigger power numbers. They didn't get stronger, but they're getting more activated. I mean, have you noticed examples working with major league teams like this? Yeah, there, there's so many different like facets to unpack with that. And I agree completely. And just to take one quick step back and one example that hopefully will resonate is like, to your point, exactly. You hit it on the head. It's like, I know when I go into my list sometimes because I'm short on time and I'll just do like a three minute like calisthenic warm up and then I jump under the bar and I, you know, progressively warm myself up, but I know I'm shortchanging myself. When you look at like sprinters, like, and I'm talking runners. So like in the Olympics, the hundred meter dash, what, what a lot of times you'll see they do before they step into the blocks, right before the gun goes off is they do like a bunch of tuck jumps. So they'll just sit there and jump as high as they can bring their knees to their chest three or four times. It's like one final time to prime that nervous system before they have to be ready to go. So I love your I love your point about like, yeah, you might feel ready to go, but there's probably more that you can do to get ready. Now to, to answer your question sp- specifically, you know, there's there's a ton of different, you know, facets in that. And one of the first things is, especially like in professional baseball, is you have really asymmetrical athletes. So they all rotate, like if they're right-handed, they rotate to their left over and over and over again. They do everything in that like frontal plane. So moving, I guess you would say laterally and rotating. So they're asymmetrical. That's the first thing. And then also you start to throw in travel and then also what they do in their spare time, which they're kids. So they, they play a lot of video games. So like someone like myself, who's at a desk all day long, bad posture, things like that. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is when you do even some of this like lighter work that maybe not be considered strength training, is you're just starting to put the body in the right positions to move really well. And so if you can be in the right positions, in the right postures, and learn to move, you can get stronger just in that way because it's like you're building a better platform, you know, to, to actually be able to, or a better foundation to be able to hold that house, if you will. So that's the first thing. And, and the second thing that I'm sure you, that, you know, you you see often with, with those that you train is they're coming to you probably early on in their training history from a strength training side. So they're thinking in their minds when they come in, like, okay, like I see, I see Derek doing all these awesome exercises on his Instagram story where he's, you know, flipping kettlebells around and he's lifting heavy deadlifts and and like dudes getting after it. That's what they're thinking strength training is. And that's what it will probably be right eventually. 
But early on, just that early exposure to just a little bit of, you know, resistance training, not enough to crush them, but just enough to start to get the body adapting to get a little bit stronger actually does make make a huge difference. And again, we, we do see that in, with professional athletes, especially in baseball, because we'll draft or sign players anywhere between 16 and 18 years old at the earliest as late as 22 or 23. And a lot of times those guys have, have never touched a weight before in their life. So they don't just get under a barbell or, or pick up heavy things on day one, but they do get stronger. Wow. It's amazing you say that because I'm blown away by the level of athletes that are out there that have little to no experience in strength training. So that's a really interesting point you made because I see it all the time from top enduro racers to top roadies and cross country racers and even downhill racers. And what you said about the, to go back to the compensations and how baseball players specifically are always moving the same direction. And one of your goals is to kind of rebuild the house and get their bodies sort of back to balance. And it reminds me of working with cyclists because like I've had people ask me, well, why would I want to stretch in this direction or bend that way when it's completely opposite to the position that I'd be in on the bike? And my response is always, it's literally to restore your body because although it's not, it's counterintuitive to maybe lay back on a Swiss ball where your hips are opened up and your back is arching or you're doing the, like a thoracic extension on a foam roller. So for anyone listening, you're sitting on your butt, the foam roller is behind your shoulder blades hands are behind your ears and you're just arching back as big as you can trying to get your head to the ground and it just opens you up like crazy. And it sounds like it feels good, but people are literally look at that position and be like, how does that help my riding? And the answer is, is because it restores your body. And because eventually in that riding position, your body is going to start to ache because of the compensations and you not taking it the opposite direction. It's like the yin and yang example. You need that that pendulum to swing the opposite direction for you to ultimately have like long-term balance. So, I mean, did I misread you like on how you were saying that? But that that's exactly where it resonated with my experience. Yeah, for sure. And like, there's another like parallel to, to baseball too, even though these are like highly, very, very different sports on opposite ends of the spectrum. But at the end of the day, they're both sports that take a lot of time doing that skill or that activity. So, you know, I'm not sure if you'd agree with this, but chances are, you know, the athletes that you're training and, and especially those that are starting with you, they're only, they're probably only training, you know, I would say what, less than three hours in the weight room a week, you know, in the weight room doing strength training less than three hours a week or right at three hours a week. But they might be putting in at minimum six hours on a bike, but maybe 12, 15, like depending on you know what their goals are and what they're doing. Same thing with, with our baseball players. I mean, they practice every single day. In season, they practice and they compete every single day. They lift usually two times a week, maybe three times a week. They prep every day and go through the type of stuff that we're talking about daily. But that you know, 20, 30 minutes of prep versus three to six hours of baseball specific work a day. They're not going to even out. So we're, we're not going to take away what makes them truly great at their skill, or at least it would be really hard to do that. We're just doing the things that keep them feeling good, keep them available. Like, you know, for, for cyclists, like not only do you want to be able to get on your bike, so not be hurt and not be miserable. So like being healthy enough to be available on the bike or in our case, baseball players to be available, to be on the field. You also want to feel good when you're doing it because I don't know about anybody else, but like I was on the trails this morning and I'm not gonna lie, I didn't feel good. And I can tell you, I didn't hit any power PRs or anything like that. I, if anything, it, it felt a little bit like drudgery towards the end. So feeling good is a huge part of performing or, or training well. Yeah. 
oh man, this I feel like this just opens up so much of a can. But it's good that you make the point that you're not trying to take people away from what makes them good in the first place. Like your thinking goes there where you say, oh man, I'm, I'm happy with my performance now and I want it to be better. I think I can do more, but I'm afraid that adding this strength training or adding this mobility work is potentially going to knock me off my game. I think you're the candidate purely for someone who needs to focus on something like muscle activation opposed to like full on strength training. And they're really, you know, one and the same in a sense, you can look at muscle activation as a very low intensity form of strength training, in my opinion, but you can start with that mindset. Like for instance, I have a 30 day beginner bodyweight program that I recommend a lot of people start on. And this is not me just trying to plug the website. It's me saying that these people are sometimes very experienced riders who want to do exactly what we're saying. They want to get moving with strength training, but they're just, they're kind of hesitant about the whole way it's going to affect their body. So it's like, give yourself the minimum effective dose, which is two days of total body strength training at a very low intensity per week. When you do that compared to not doing anything at all, you're going to notice some benefits. And of course, you're going to have to continue that like progressive overload to keep you know, growing and making the changes that you want to move forward. Uh, but at least as a starting point, you're not going to be swinging the kettlebells all over like I do on Instagram, which by the way, I, I hope you guys know at this point, those, those workouts are Instagram workouts. <laughs> we do stuff like that, but it's, it's like the, like the sprinkles and the cherry on top of a very fundamental quality workout that in truth is not as exciting to look at. It doesn't really get people to stop scrolling. So I just hope you know that uh, listening, go to the website and you'll see like me doing a bench row one of the most effective workouts you can do is not going to do anything on Instagram. It's probably going to hurt my business. And that's why you don't see it on there. But anyways, kind of a side note, I think the point that you make is really good. And there is a specific, uh, coming back to the activation talk, metaphor that you've used in one of your journals that I've read, Ryan, about like the airplane hanger and the lights. Could you kind of refer to that a little bit and give people an idea before we talk about some isometric work? Yeah, definitely. So that part of my role with the Indians and just being a coach in, in professional baseball or just baseball in general is being able to like relate sometimes complicated things to them so that they have a better understanding of what they need to accomplish during the day and why things like activation and prep work and things like that are important. So um, why maximal intent when you're doing things are important. And so one of the, the metaphors that's really resonated as I've, as I've worked with different players and coaches is the idea of like a, a giant like warehouse or airplane hangar like you referenced. So you think of a giant building, it's going to have like in order to, to light up that whole building, because it probably has very few windows, if any, there's probably thousands of lights hanging from the ceiling, massive lights. When you think about the way, so now we're going to take what we started this conversation with. We talked about like activation, the central nervous system, how it's you know controlling the muscles. We're going to zoom in a little bit. So the analogy is the nervous system actually starts to branch out into nerves, like you know big branches of nerves, then tiny little nerves, and those what, what the word is called is innervate. So for those that that haven't heard that word before, what that really means is the nerves. They attach to the muscles and the muscle fibers. So the stuff that you can't even see, it's minuscule, you know, microscopic. They attach to the muscle fibers and that's where the actual electrical conduction happens to say, okay, we're going to contract. So for that to happen, it's not just like, oh, there's one nerve per muscle. There's thousands of thousands of, of interactions going on between your nervous system and your muscles or the nerves and the muscles. So what we want is we don't just want one little tiny nerve fiber to activate one little muscle fiber. We want big, gigantic contractions, especially if we're going to move some heavy weight, move something fast, pedal really hard. When we're doing maximal intent work, we want a really coordinated or sequenced 
big fire of that electrical current to activate the muscles. So now back to our analogy, what I like to think of is we're, we, what we don't want is for some of those lights. So like you go to the master control panel whenever you're in this air, airplane hangar and you're, you're going to turn on all the lights. What we want is one switch to turn on all the lights, not 600 switches, one per light. We want the, the signal to go from that light, those light switches or that light switch to the lights quickly, like instantaneously. Flip the light just like in your bedroom and the light turns on. And we don't want it to have to heat up at all. We want it to be bright and hot right from the beginning. And so that is like if you're going to do a one rep max in your, your squat, if you're going to go for a five second sprint on the bike, those maximum intent contractions are what we're looking for from an activation standpoint. If we dial it back a little bit, like, okay, now I'm doing 10 reps of this, or I'm doing something a little bit more complicated, like I'm climbing up a technical trail on the mountain bike, I'm standing up and I'm having to like get my weight in the right place and pull with the right arm and shift my weight. We may not want maximum contractions, but we want them coordinated the way that we want. So in essence, that, that is the analogy is being able to control the lights in that airplane hangar efficiently and effectively. Sometimes that's a one, one hot turn them all on. And sometimes that's like a really coordinated and sequenced measured way. And that right there is also an argument to where unstable or more complex exercises can really have a positive impact because it's not just about you firing all of your muscle fibers at once and having that good master switch as Ryan was talking about, you need to be able to coordinate it. I've heard this really cool analogy. I think it was from Max Shank. Are you familiar with Max Shank? Yeah, yeah, I am. There's a really good analogy about uh, firing a cannon on a canoe. And I think it can be blown out of proportion a little bit, but this whole idea of you, the extreme example would be someone who sits on machines all day and gets really strong on machines. Now, if you're not sure about what machines really do, they basically take away any requirement of your body to stabilize and allow you to just use the primary muscles to like move the weight on a machine. So your primary muscles get really, really strong, but all the stabilizing muscles, all of the things that keep your body tight and within control and just really solid and grounded aren't really getting used the same way that they would if you were doing a free weight where you have to manipulate it from moving left or moving right or yada yada. So if you get really strong without building up those stabilizers, it could be like firing a cannon on a canoe. You have this crazy explosive ability to contract your muscles, but the rest of your body, it, once that fires, is going to do the most unpredictable movement that's probably going to damage something. So imagine a cannon on a canoe, it fires, and then the rest of your body just kind of crumbles and, and swerves and sinks and dips and maybe even just drowns behind it. <laughs> so getting your body to coordinate uh, through something like a complex exercise can be really beneficial that way. But again, it's it's about doing both. That's really the ideal thing. It's like people ask me, they just want that one exercise they have to do. And the answer is like, do them all. Like someone asked me, what what rep scheme do you stick with? Do you do just like one to five or do you do like uh, 15 to 20? <laughs> and I was like, why do you have to give me opposite ends of the spectrum? Like I do all the reps, literally. Like I do all the reps. I mean, I'm I do less than five way less frequently than I would do the hypertrophy range of eight to 12 or even more muscular endurance, which is like 12 to 20, but I still do them all. And it's just the same thing. Like I do very stable exercises. It's rare I use machines, but I have in the past. But again, it's like, give yourself 
variety. Give your body the opportunity to experience explosive power on a platform that's very stable. Um, because again, like Ryan was saying, it's not just about turning on all the lights. It's about actually being able to coordinate them at your own will. And that is what freaking transfers over to the bike. Like crazy. I like You can hear my passion about it because I want people to experience it. And I know Ryan has experienced it, like spending the time you have on the bike. It, it's pretty freaking rad. So now the, I guess the question is, if you don't have access two weights, what is a good way for your body to kind of get that stimulus of a maximal force output or contraction? Yeah. And an awesome question. That's something that we faced, you know, last year in 2020, when most gyms shut down and, and even like with our athletes, like our players weren't allowed to, even if their gym in their local area, you know, was, was open and, you know, their government in that area wasn't shutting things down. We wouldn't allow players to go. So they were training from home and most didn't have home gyms. So this was a, a huge topic for us. And there's a lot of different ways to go, but one of my absolute favorites is, is to use isometrics. So your muscle can do essentially three different actions. So there's concentric, there's eccentric, and there's isometric. So I'm going to use the bicep curl as, as the example. So when you're holding that barbell to do a curl in your hands with those dumbbells, and if they're down at the bottom, your arms are extended, and you're ready to curl them up. As you curl and the muscle contracts and you're lifting the weights up towards your shoulders, you're getting a concentric contraction. And what that means is the muscles are shortening as they're activating. And that's why you get, you know, when we flex, we want them to shorten so that they look bigger. <laughs> On our way down, the opposite direction. So now we're lowering it. The muscles are still activating. We're 100% applying force and we're using those muscles, but now they're getting longer. So that bicep's actually stretching out. That would be an eccentric. And then an isometric would be just to hold one position. So you can think about maybe the halfway point. So if you stopped right in the middle and you held it there, your muscle, again, is it's activating. It's con contracting. It's trying to shorten but it can't. So it just holds the same length. So concentric is, is muscle shortening, eccentric is lengthening, then isometric would be just maintaining that length. So now to take it a step further, when it comes to isometrics, there's, there's two forms. There's overcoming and there's yielding. Wording doesn't matter, but essentially think about like if you were going to do a bodyweight squat right now, you squat down to the bottom and then you just hold the bottom position of that squat. You hover a little bit above, so you're not just kind of like crumpled over, but you're using your muscles to hold in one position. That would be our yielding isometric. And basically what that means is you're not exerting maximal force, but you're holding a position. If you applied any more force, you would just stand back up. Most of us would be able to stand back up. So an, an overcoming isometric is when the force that you're applying is met with an opposite force that is equal or greater. And so an example of this would be trying to deadlift a car. You're going to pull on the bumper. I don't know anybody that can lift up a car. So most of us are going to pull on that bumper. And at a certain point, that car is not going to move. And we're going to be stuck in one position. We're exerting maximal effort, but that car is meeting us with equal force. And obviously can meet us with more force because it weighs several tons. And most of us can't lift that. So that would be your overcoming isometric, pushing into a wall as hard as you can. Those are all examples. Or even just like if you got into a, into a squat rack, and you flipped the pegs upside down, like where the barbell rests, and you push up into it with the barbell, you're not going to move the squat rack. Therefore, that would be an isometric. You could get a maximal contraction. So looking at a an overcoming isometric, that's one of my absolute favorite ways of still getting maximal intent, can still get stronger. And it's a great and really low cost way to work on, on strength development. You don't need much of anything. You just need to try to push, pull, or lift something that you can't. And in that way, going back to the example of the airplane hanger, you're turning on all the lights still. You're just not actually moving whatever you're trying to move. The specifics on the isometrics overcoming versus yielding, I have to admit, and I don't know if this makes me sound bad or not, I don't remember ever learning that. 
And I haven't actually thought about it if I had learned it at some point since then. So this was either completely new to me or something that had gotten lost. And I'm really bummed that it did because I agree, especially through 2020 with people not having access to equipment. I think this is a really good tool that you can utilize. I also have to make the point, speak for yourself on the car lifting thing. I haven't tried it, but I, I'd like to believe that I could pick one up. Anyways, we're going to go back to... I bet you could. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go back to... Uh, uh, my next question, which is, okay, so if you have the J-hooks upside down and you're pushing into that, that example is really obvious and clear. Um, and it reminds me of a time when I had first be started training. This is within like the first six month, months of being a trainer. And if you've heard my story, the first six months that I was a trainer were the first six months that I was in a gym, which is terrifying for you to think about as someone who goes in and pays for a training session from somebody at like, you know, cookie cutter gym, X, Y, and Z. But I remember seeing a dude that was about my size squatting like 400 pounds. It was mental. And I literally was like, I have to go and see if I could even lift that off of the rack. And I started pushing into it. And I basically loaded up four plates on each side. I started pushing into it. And literally, I could feel my back like compressing. And I was like, whoa, and I had to stop. And that to me, that was overcoming isometrics. And it was also a huge blow to my ego at the time because I was like, I can't even lift that off. I was smart enough to to not continue to go for it when I, I could tell my body just wasn't ready, but still it was hilarious. And then that's like the most clear example I have of experiencing that. And I'm trying to think if there's another time I've actually gone for that intentionally. Maybe there's been a deadlift I haven't been able to pull uh, going for maxes kind of like back in the day. But if you don't have access to those obvious examples of equipment, like what are you going to do? Let's just say you literally don't have any equipment. How do you manage this? Yeah. I mean, the simple answer is just creativity, but also being thoughtful about it in the sense of, because what I'm about to say, I don't want to come off as just a pure recommendation, but it is a way to do it. If you go pull up on the bumper of your car right now, you're going to get a pretty heavy stimulus, right? You're going to get that maximal intent, overcoming isometric. That's what you're going to get. Now, the caveat being like you need to set up as if you're going to truly deadlift a barbell. Like your back's got to be in the right position. You have to be set up right. So I, I say I'm not recommending it because if you do it wrong, it's like anything else. It's going to be a maximal contraction. Just like when you got under that 400-pound barbell and you weren't ready to move it, you're like, oh, wow, I'm feeling my back. This Even just pushing into this probably isn't right. You know, We talked about being in the right positions and postures and all, being activated and warmed up. Like If those boxes aren't checked, a maximal effort isometric, while you're not going to feel your muscles burning, while you may not be sore the next day, it is a, it can be pretty intense. You know, you're going to do it for five to 10 seconds. It takes a lot of breathing. Like it's tough. So things like that is a way from a creativity standpoint, something that, that we recommended was if, if you have like in your garage, like those containers that you, you know, big rubber containers that you just store things in. If you fill that with a ton of sand, if you try to think how big that would be, but a couple feet by a couple feet, you know, wide and, and long, and then like two feet deep or maybe three feet deep, if you fill that with a lot of sand, it's got the handles and you try to pick it up, it's probably not going to move. It's going to be hundreds of pounds, most likely. So you can fill that up and try to pick that up in, in a deadlift position and you're going to get something similar as well. I like the idea of even like laying on your back and don't push into like a, you know, the walls of your house. But like if you have a concrete wall somewhere is doing almost like a leg press into the wall. That's another way that you can get it as well because that wall is not going to move you know, pushing into your car, like in a, like leaned over and almost like a chest press position. Cause now we're talking about like, because you're getting creative, like you may not be able to just, okay, I'm going to resemble a bench press. Like you're going to get into like this little bit of a split stance to be able to do this. You're going to have to, it's going to be a very interesting full body isometric. 
but pushing on your car because it's not going to roll is another way as well. So just be thinking creatively, you know, outside of the box, you know, that's probably your best way to go about it is just try to find something that's immovable and try to move it. And even if it's not in like this, like deadlift specific position, as long as it's a safe position, it's still a really good stimulus for the muscles. I love those examples. And I almost thought if you laid on your back, almost like a leg press under your bumper, if you had, you know, if there was a actual part of your frame you could push into, so you don't just dent your bumper or something. It's like, maybe that's an option. Maybe you have a truck that's a little bit higher up or something. But I'd also thought too, if you did sit in a wall sit, I know that obviously there's tension that you're applying through your feet to make sure you don't sink too low, but you can also push back against the wall in that position. And you have to be careful with your knees. If, like if you don't have your feet almost like planted against something, like I'm trying to think, you know, in the gym, it'd be easy. I'd grab a weight plate and put my foot up against that. But because of the angle of it, like you have so much forward pressure on your knees. That's the one thing that would be a little bit strange or problematic in my opinion. But even for you to sit in a wall sit and to push back a little more pressure into the wall, especially if you're driving through your heels could be another option for you. I know that I've heard with bodybuilders, especially old school bodybuilders, that they'll put their palms together in front of their chest, like a chest fly with their elbows wide and literally just push into their hands as one of their chest exercises. And that's basically an overcoming isometric, but you have to be careful that you don't pop your shoulders out of their sockets. So there's always like going to be a, a way for you to, you know, potentially hurt yourself. So you got to be careful about it and use your common sense there. But to literally have the idea in your head of like, okay, there's an immovable object that I'm going to try and move. And that strain on my body is going to be the progressive overload that gets me a little bit more power and a little more strength. That general concept and idea is a really great idea. And for those without equipment, let's just say you're using my guided core workouts twice a week. Well, for you to do the guided core workouts and then go in between each round, go try and lift your car up for 20 seconds, that little extra hit and that little bit of stimulus can be very beneficial to you and not super impactful on like the wear and tear it has on your body. Because by the way, like this is a whole other topic we should talk about, Ryan, but like when you think about volume and wear and tear, if you're doing volume correctly, it means that the lower the volume, the higher the weight and higher weight can really tear up your body even at low volume. So even giving it like a little bit of a dose here and there is something where you can notice improvements in your power. I, I shouldn't have even brought up the volume thing because it's like a whole other topic, but uh, it, it was just on my mind. So I had to say it. But what do you want to add to that? Yeah, the, the last thing I would just say is maybe like the again, like just doubling on your, your practical application pieces. An overcoming isometric isn't the only, you know, valuable isometric and nor is it like maybe the best fit for everybody, right? So at the end of the day, to get stronger, what we're looking for is progressive overload, right? Like, of course, you know that principle and I'm sure anybody that, that tunes into, you know, into your podcasts and, and uses your content and programs, like they understand that is it's just incremental progress over time. If your training age is, is pretty low, like a body weight squat, not even getting fancy, like just going through basic movement patterns, whether it's isometric, eccentric, concentric, Throw all that stuff, I hate to say, out the window, but just progress. If that's if that's a stimulus for your nervous system, like that's still forcing the lights to turn on harder, brighter, faster, more synchronized than they've maybe ever had to do. You throw a kettlebell in there, you throw a barbell, you start to add those things up. You know, the the overcoming asymmetric is probably more for anybody that has been training consistently, is relatively strong, and again, it's all relative, but and either does not you know, no longer has that the resources, maybe they go on vacation, maybe, you know, a pandemic shuts down every, every gym or, you know, whatever the circumstances may be. An injury is one, one huge reason why we could use isometrics. 
Um, or if you're just not feeling great that day, or if you don't want to be sore the next day, because you're, you know, again, it, it's going to have a little bit less wear and tear on your body than actually doing full reps with, with a ton of free weight loads. So just to keep that in context is like, this is a, a method, but it's, it's, you talked about earlier, like keeping all the tools in the toolbox, so to speak for everybody, you do all the reps. Like this is just another tool. Yeah, that's a great point. And the whole wear and tear thing to kind of build up support to that. Ryan talked about the different actions essentially your muscle can take, which is eccentric, concentric, and isometric. Well, part of the reason you're not getting that wear and tear with the isometric is because the one that really damages your muscles the most is eccentric. When your muscles are lengthening under tension, there's more tissue breakdown than concentric or isometric. And that's the stuff that really freaking leaves you sore. It's the reason Romanian deadlifts damage your hamstrings so much. Like not just because a lot of cyclists have weak hamstrings, it's because also to do a proper Romanian deadlift, you have to have a very controlled lowering phase. And that's kind of what gets you. And that's the reason that why my endurance ride this morning on trainer road was so uncomfortable was because I chose to do some single leg RDLs with a deadlift or with a barbell yesterday. I never do that. And it felt so cool. So I added a couple reps for Instagram and I'm paying the price today. So anyways, keep that in mind. The isometrics could be a really good fit for you. And Ryan, I, I want to thank you for all the information, man. I knew that this would be an easy conversation and I'm really happy that, uh, honestly, that you you reached out. And I will say something I really want to get into with you, and we're going to have to do it on a future podcast, is going to be mental health. That's something that I actually haven't talked about as much as I would like to. I think, honestly, because the topic itself, I feel like has been kind of weird the last year. I don't want to say like watered down, but it's been talked about so much that I've almost wanted to get away from it. But I think that's diminishing a little bit. And I would really like to tell people about uh, things I've dealt with with anxiety. I know that you're very open about your journey with depression and really how specifically biking has helped you kind of pull out of that. So that's going to be a whole other podcast. But either way, man, I'm very excited to collaborate on content in the future. And I, I really want to thank you. So uh, now's your opportunity, please. Shameless plug, man. Instagram, website, where can people go follow you and kind of get to know you a little bit better? Well, first off, man, really appreciate, you know, the platform to share a little bit and, and to actually have this conversation with you. I really enjoyed talking to shop with you. And then I'm looking forward to, to digging into mental health a little bit and just having like a candid, vulnerable, open conversation about it. Cause it's something I'm definitely passionate about. <laughs> Thanks for the plug here. I mean, I, I have a blog. You could go to uh, my first name with my middle initial, my last name.com. So it's Ryan J Fair. Dot com and that's F-A-E-R. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, I believe they're both at Ryan J. Fair. So it so should be pretty easy to find. You can reach out on any of those platforms and I'm always happy to help people. So we'd, we'd look forward to and welcome anybody reaching out. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Derek. We are jumping right into member questions. Our question this week is from at Chase underscore Wesley on Instagram. And his question is, do you have any opinions on cannabis or address it in any of your podcasts? So we are going to hash it out. Oh, that was a good pun. (laughs) (laughs) I did that completely improv. That was a knee slapper (laughs) right there. I want to give the knee a good slap. Wow. That was, that was nice. Well, um, yeah, hash it out. I, we, we've never talked about cannabis on the podcast with the exception of the episode we recorded. 
and we didn't put out for a various amount of reasons. It was just because we kind of rambled on too much. So I'm excited to, to go over this because we haven't talked about it. I think it is relevant. And this also came up when I did the previous month with no alcohol, which I have to say, by the way, I hope no one took that as I'm never drinking alcohol again, because that was very much not the plan. But I knew I needed to reel it in and gain a little bit more control over that. I really enjoyed alcohol over the weekend. I haven't even told you about that, Amber. Your Topo Chico pineapple spiked seltzer. Very good recommendation. Uh huh. So yeah, hopefully that doesn't disappoint anyone. That's not what I intended to imply that I was like cutting it out forever. But I did go the month of October without it. And I was really proud about that. So I had people recommending that I start using like some form of THC like droplets or like what's the official term I'm looking for a tincture or something like that. And then using CBD products. I'll tell you, I've actually used some CBD products and I noticed next to nothing. In fact, I remember specifically just to try and feel one of them, uh, some of the gummies. And I know you, the, the whole point is that you don't get high. <laughs> like I understand the concept and it's supposed to just yeah. relieve some anxiety, relax your body, take away some pains like muscle aches, whatever, you know, cause I had, I had bombs, I had tinctures and I had gummies. I had to like double the dose to even kind of notice it. And, and to me, I was like, honestly, one glass of wine makes me feel better than this. So, I mean, I guess I could see why you would use it if you don't want wine and you don't want the calories from it, but it's also freaking expensive. CBD is not cheap. So there were all these layers where I was like, you know what? I actually don't feel like that's a good fit for me. And I don't feel like the balms and the lotions and whatever work as well as just icing does. Just me as a personal preference. Now, I, I this is going to sound, I'm going to, this is where I'm going to sound like a goober. <laughs> And I hate that it even said, I am you a goober. You are a goober, for the record. But you guys, maybe I just sound like a, a goody two-shoes here, and I don't want it to come off that way, but this is just the truth. I've never smoked weed in my entire life. I've never been high. I've actually never smoked anything in my entire life. And I don't really plan on it with the exception of cigars. I told Lish this recently. When Dialed Health grosses over a million dollars in revenue, I am going to get a Chicago Bulls Jordan jersey. I am going to get a Coors Light and a cigar. And I'm going to enjoy that thing as my championship win, just like he did in that freaking famous picture. Do you know what I'm talking about, Amber? That photo of him with the cigar and the- One, no. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, but also, you're going to barf from that cigar. I just know it. I just know it's going to make you sick. I'm just going to give you so much crap when it happens. It's going to be great. But hey, that's going to be a great photo shoot opportunity for Brady. Yeah. So we're, we're going to do it, man. That's going to be me celebrating. I'm probably going to just fully inhale that sucker, do everything wrong and puke my brains out. But anyways, yeah, never smoke weed. And it's really interesting because I grew up all around action sports. And I say that because honestly, weed is like, it's so ingrained into those sports, snowboarding, skateboarding, like you can say it is or it isn't, it just is. Yeah. Um, and I've experienced it firsthand, mountain biking. I have been at more parties and also, I didn't drink till I was 21. So, you know, I used to shotgun Red Bulls at parties with people, which is without a doubt more dangerous than just shotgunning a beer. But, you know, I beer bonged two Red Bulls one time. Terrifying. But anyways. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, uh, I have been at parties partying with people without drinking or smoking anything 
like probably more than anybody. I can't imagine someone who has passed more joints or more bongs or more vape pens or whatever it is than I have who hasn't smoked weed. And maybe there's been like a contact high or something like that from being in some freaking hot box car or whatever. But I just want you guys to know, like I've been around it a ton. And I'm not a nerd. I don't think it's just like yucky or bad. I don't I don't think it's like anything like that. I just felt like it's never been for me. And I'll tell you my initial thoughts on like uh, and opinions about just cannabis in general are kind of negative because when I was like, I don't know, I want to say I was like 14, 15, you know, out digging bike jumps every single day like I used to do. And my friends slowly started getting out of riding. A lot of them got out of riding because they got into partying. And a lot of them would start like smoking weed at the bike jumps. And and they stopped riding because of it, essentially. And that was a big motivation for me to not drink, let alone not smoke weed or do anything like that was because I kind of did associate it with my friends stopping riding and I didn't want to stop riding. But that's kind of why I stayed away from it. And then I will tell you, like, I'll just straight up be honest about this because I would say it to all of their faces. Like a lot of my buddies who started smoking weed quite a bit, like they were the stereotypical stoner who was just so just like way too danky and chill, dude. And like, I all of a sudden am into like fish and aquariums and I'm going to buy this. I'm going to watch this like weird trippy movie and I'm going to listen to this music. And like, I know that I sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm, I'm not like, that's exactly how it was. Or like they wouldn't want to go do things because you can't do them high or you would go snowboarding or something with a friend and you're just trying to like hang out with them and like talk to them. And they're totally like, <laughs> like zoned out because they're so high. And again, if I was high too, it'd probably be fine. You know what I mean? But like, I don't want to go walk, like walk around this little aquarium thing and talk to a wall for a day. So I'm just not going to hang out with you as much anymore. So anyways, that's kind of like where it all came about. And I want you guys to know, like, I really don't judge anybody for like basically anything. I mean, I get, maybe there's some stuff I judge people for, but whether or not you smoke weed or do drugs or do whatever, I, I really could care less. I've just never felt like it was something that, you know, would be a good benefit to my life. Like, and, and until recently that culture behind it wasn't something I was into because of those early experiences. But I do get now how like as an adult and a very productive functioning human husband, wife, parent, uh, contributor to society, how you can literally like use THC and cannabis and smoke weed or whatever, and you know, not have it be a problem. And if anything, maybe actually have it help your life. It's something I haven't felt like I'd really want to implement myself. Uh, but I have friends and clients who, you know, maybe they stop. I have a perfect example. I had one client who was trying to lose weight and cut out alcohol and actually started using THC instead. And instead of alcohol at night, they would drink kombucha and they would have like literally him and his wife would like split a THC infused gummy bear. Like that's it. Like it basically half a dose of whatever. And it was just enough for them to really relax. It took the edge off. They're drinking their kombucha and that became their kind of new habit. And it helped them lose a little bit of weight, which was really cool. And that was like one of those things I was like, gosh, this makes a lot of sense. And anyways, like the culture has changed. It has been flipped. So I'm seeing things a lot differently now. Uh, and like I said, I'm not super tempted to, to use it myself. I don't feel like when I take out alcohol, I'm so desperate to have like a fix of something. Um, I, I really learned that like even this month, it was a reminder that, you know, I personally just need to breathe. <laughs> like I, I need to just take a breath and like relax a little bit. Like it, it comes so much more for me 
internally than it does just from like drinking. Like I've, I noticed that the stress level with my kids did not change without having, or with the absence of alcohol. It was just me being aware of what was happening, taking a breath and being like, okay, like let's get gracious. Let's get some gratitude. You, you know, you don't need anything else to help you relax, but, but that. So anyway, sorry, Amber, that was a full on rant. I know I was ranting cause I wasn't even looking at my screen. Yeah, you did. You fully ranted. I think that is like my opinion of, I guess, cannabis or THC or weed or the reefer or the devil's lettuce or the hash or the, you know, doing the weed. Are you doing the weed, Amber? You know, in the episode that was until it wasn't, we kind of got into that a little bit about how Derek and I had similar experiences. Like I didn't drink until I was 21. And even then I didn't drink much and I never went to a high school party ever. So I've ne- I still have never passed a joint in my life, you know, similar start. And then I actually was never around it at all until I started riding bikes. So kind of similar to you, except that my experience since I got into bikes later in life, like not until I was 30, was that all of my friends have jobs and responsibilities and bikes, but they all, almost all of them smoke or use in one way or the other. And all positive experiences, all responsible experiences, if anything, using it to enhance their experiences on the bike, whether it be for pre-workout, because I know a lot of people use it for like mind-muscle connection to like get focused, myself included, and THC muscle rub, so good. You, I'm telling you, there's a difference between the THC muscle rub or just the CBD, and it is insane. And my, my girlfriend, Claire, at no pressure, just bikes, I think is her handle on Instagram. She would, she could tell you like the scientific reason why muscle rubs have to have THC to work. She could tell you, but it does. They work so good. And so I have a similar experience, but different, you know? And also I thought it was like, almost like you were talking about me and Quincy because we basically have done like a similar thing where if we're not drinking, like we will just like split an edible and like have some ginger beer and it's the same experience or very similar except that I'm not you know gonna be like bloated and disgusting the next day also I never have had a hangover from cannabis ever and a hangover from alcohol is crippling that's so interesting that whole point like I didn't even consider was the fact that yeah you could maybe not have the side effects you get with alcohol besides just the weight gain the blood stuff like that that's interesting in fact i know that i had friends in high school like they would cure a hangover by smoking weed the next morning quote unquote i can understand that my my girlfriend stuff swears that if, every time she gets a headache if she just like smokes a little it'll go away so that's not the first time i've heard that and i've never had a hangover from weed like like it's alcohol though is bad like man i get bloated yeah. and disgusting and but if it's just like i'm a little high and the next morning i just like wake up normal and it's bizarre and that's I've implemented it in my own life and I'm a responsible person I have two jobs I have I'm a very responsible person I feel like a very productive person so I'm laughing because Louise said like if I'm just a little high and you kind of just like said it out of the corner of your mouth like <laughs> <laughs> so that was just a lie. I mean, it's, and I've even known people that like smoke on bike rides, but it's like you're on a gravel ride and it's beautiful and you're just like connecting with your friends and it just heightens the experience. But also to your point, it doesn't, I don't have to have those things to like live my life. I don't have to have those things to enhance any experience. Yeah. I can have a 
great life and all those things without that completely. Yeah. Don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, and I think that's where it like gets sticky. If you get like super dependent on it, like you do alcohol, it's no different. Like you can get addicted to anything. I was, a, I was addicted to eye drops once. You can get addicted <laughs> to so. You were addicted to eye drops and you weren't smoking weed? <laughs> and I wasn't smoking weed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I should have, maybe those two could have gone together. I don't know. Oh but. my gosh. Just you saying eye drops takes me back to high school and my buddies being obsessed with this one brand of eye drops. If anyone was a stoner in high school, they were called Rotos, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyways, they were just... Well, they were probably addicted to them because they were addictive. (laughs) Well, yeah, I actually had a culinary teacher in high school who was so addicted to Altoids and she ate so many cinnamon Altoids that it like put an ulcer in her stomach and she had to like miss... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like anything can be addictive, people. <laughs> like it's Yeah, it's so true. And uh Yeah, so it's just like make sure you're having good relationships, you know? Like with things. We've talked about that. We talked about that in the last one. It's true. It, it it's a really good point and yeah, I tell people just go do your thing, man. I mean, that's kind of my stance on it. Again, there's no judgment. I really don't care. I don't think any less or more of anyone for using really whatever. I mean, I would obviously not encourage any like hardcore drugs, which is definitely not cool. But I'll I'll also admit, you know, it's like alcohol is probably less healthy than weed. I mean, if you really had to like, or like, especially if you look at, you know, THC, and again, this is not like a professional opinion, because I have never dove into this that much. But I know alcohol is, is very much not healthy. And it's like a strange, strangely accepted social part of our existence, I guess. It's it's really weird. Maybe I sound high now that I'm talking about it this way. But I will say that the whole like using it while you ride is interesting. I've had a buddy do that and he says it basically raises his pain threshold or his pain tolerance. And I think that's why it's on the banned substance list. Isn't that isn't that the reason? Because you can basically like you don't feel as much pain so you can go a little harder, a little further. I don't know. I don't know anything about the banned substance list. I can personally say that, like, I agree that I will do way more weight, way more reps if I've, like, smoked before than, like, and that's a lot. I know a lot of strength train, like, people that are, like, weightlifters that use weed as their pre workout, but I bet that's why. Because it's better mind muscle connection and higher threshold. You haven't? I've never heard, not in the gym. I've never heard it like as a pre-workout for the gym. I've heard it like mid ride or like kind of like at the beginning of a ride, but not like just for the gym. That's crazy. For the record. I don't do that every time. For the record. I don't do that every time. Sometimes it's just like nicely scheduled so I can do that. But like, I think it that could be why. That That is yeah. definitely a good point. So maybe. I don't know. Well, there you guys have it. That's our one member question. I knew we'd go a little bit long on it. More of a casual conversation. And I guess we'll just leave it at that. If you have something you really want to tell me about marijuana that I don't know about, you can go ahead and let me know. But uh, we're probably just going to leave it at that. All right, fam, we have a lot of announcements this week, so buckle up. We're starting with guided TRX workout. This is the fifth one. How good is it, Derek? It's really good. You saw it on the back end. It's actually being uploaded as we recorded this to the website, but as you're hearing this, should be on the website. And it's a fresh guided workout for you guys. Now, the TRX workouts, when I do them, I'll say they're some of the most feel-good workouts I think that are on the website. They're very challenging, total body, a lot of strength involved, but there's so much fluidity with the TRX, like, (laughs) I was going to say apparatus, but, you know, 
a piece of equipment and we use it for every exercise and it's fun and it's unstable and it's different. And I don't know, every time I do a TRX guided workout, I personally love it. And I know people that have TRXs or any type of suspension trainer use them frequently. And so I'm happy to put another video on the website for you and build up that variety. Yeah, I think that'll be really good for people, especially like small spaces and home gyms. Those are so accessible and you can get a really good workout in. Yes. You know, you can put those anywhere. So I'm excited for everybody to use that. Absolutely. And travel, by the way, you guys. Although I recommend everyone getting like a single kettlebell at home, the thing is you're not going to travel with like a 20, 30 pound kettlebell, but a TRX strap will fit in any suitcase and you can bring a little door frame mount. And this is not me trying to sell them. It's just me saying there's a, they're very versatile. And if you're someone who travels frequently, they might be the best piece of equipment that you can travel with, honestly. Yeah. For people that like maybe not home a couple of days a week and out and about, that's, I never thought to do that. That's such a good idea. Yeah. And second announcement. We have recipes, yummy, yummy recipes coming soon. So if you want to know how, how are we going to get those to people? I don't even know how. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's a couple updates we want to do to the whole nutrition side of dialed health. Really right now, we have just a handful of recipes on there and there haven't been new ones being updated because I very quickly realized that creating recipes, taking the photos, having everything in my fitness pal, the whole process is not for me. Like it's not something that I'm going to do. And it really requires a professional. And to find a professional, let me just tell you guys, that is good to work with, that is not, ha that doesn't have some re uh, food restriction, like being vegan or something like that. And I'm not trying to pick on anyone. Like we'll have vegan recipes on the website, but you can't only have that as an option as someone who doesn't recommend a vegan diet for everybody. So that plus someone who understands endurance that's also accessible and willing to do this type of work as freelance. It's, it's hard to find somebody. And I'm so grateful that we have. He's over in the Netherlands. His name is Jamie Frias. And he really checks all of the boxes. He's been great to work with so far. And he just sent 30 recipes that we're going to have uploaded to the website. We have six breakfasts, six lunches, six dinners, and then we have six ride snacks and six, is this 30 or 36? <laughs> I'm not sure. It's, it's five of each or six of each, but we're also going to have, so like ride snacks, but then also healthy, more like higher protein snacks. So those are going to be uploaded on the website all in one go. And then from there, we're going to have regular recipes uploading weekly. And so it's going to be like a new kickstart into the nutrition blog and a way for us to get that active and just get more value to the members only. So that is something I'm really pumped about. The recipes are in the works. We're doing it and we're building the brand. Yeah, you worked really hard to find somebody. I saw you working hard and I think he was like the fourth. You were on the hunt for the right person. So I think you were really selective and we found the right guy. So yeah, I hope so, Jamie. <laughs> He's going to be on the podcast soon, people. We'll put him on blast on the podcast. Yes, let's blast him on the podcast. So give the people what they want, which is an app update. Everybody's really been up in arms about the app for a while. So we have an update, right? Yes, I'm so pumped that we're moving forward with this. I had brought up initially on, I think, a weekly thoughts like two weeks ago about just spending like dropping 20 grand on the app as an initial payment just to kind of get things started. And we did that. <laughs> we're putting our money where our mouth is literally. That's just kind of the start of getting this thing toward where it needs to be. And it's cool because I sent more specifics about what we want included. And I'm starting to go back and forth with the, the programmers on the back end, our whole web team there. So long story short, I just want you guys to know it's being worked on. It's actually coming to fruition. Like 
things are going to be uh, popping up and getting more specific with design very soon. But the app is being curated. And, and it's interesting because I'm at this point now where we have these updates we want to do to the website. And truthfully, we're going to need to keep continue to update the website as well. But it's funny because we want to pour the time into the app without not including the new things to the website. So that could slow down the process a little bit, but I think we are all feeling really good about launching this thing at the end of Q1 next year. So thank you to everyone who's been sending in really just feedback about the website. Like there's a lot of times where people say, hey, this would be easier if this worked like that, or if I didn't have to check this box. Those user, like the whole user experience that you guys are experiencing is very valuable for us to know because, you know, like I've said before on the podcast, originally the website was a slam dunk to me because it was like, oh, you know, I used to charge 125 bucks for one program. Now for 20 bucks a month, we have 12 plus programs, plus guided workouts, plus all this other stuff, more for less, slam jump, my job's over. Literally did I know that was just the beginning of my job. <laughs> and so <laughs> I really appreciate you guys supporting us so early on and even using the product, knowing that it can be better. Like I know it can be so much better than what it is, but we have a really good groundwork laid and we're making those improvements. You know, it's just going to take a little bit of time, but yeah, I'm pumped about it. So we feel very clear on our direction. That's kind of a heads up for you guys. It's being worked on. Hey, Derek, did you know that Thanksgiving is 21 days away? I do know because I'm planning something. You are. Are we eating? Are we riding? Amber, I wish you could be there to ride. This is when it's a problem that you live halfway across the country. But I'm planning a turkey day group ride. And we should have, by the time you guys hear this, we should have the details locked in. I'm trying to officially partner with a coffee shop that would actually be the real turnaround point of this ride. But 16 miles away from my studio is, in my opinion, the best coffee shop in our area, Sacramento area, um, really between here and Tahoe. It's incredible. And it's called The Poor Choice. And my hope is that we can ride up to Poor Choice and have a group on Thanksgiving morning to go out and basically do our version of like a turkey trot or something. Because every single year, I want to ride my bike on Thanksgiving morning. And every cyclist is the same. I mean, Amber, do you ride every Thanksgiving morning? I think we've ridden Thanksgiving morning the last several years, but before that, we were we were a turkey trot family. You, right. <laughs> you ever heard that term? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I think we've always been some form of that. So yes, of course we do. There's no better way to do Thanksgiving than eat a ton of carbs after you've done something awesome. Like, yeah. who doesn't do that? Why don't they do that? I agree. And I actually love that whole idea of, you know, being active in the morning, go play your football game, go do your turkey trot. But for us as cyclists, there aren't many options. I mean, are there options for you guys like this in Kansas? Do you guys have group rides or anything? I don't think so, but I might like steal this idea and I might do it here. You know what? You should hold a dialed health group ride. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm officially announcing on the podcast. I'm doing <laughs> And this and this is how things actually get done behind the scenes, you guys. It's just like that candid. Because that makes a lot of sense. I would love that because every Thanksgiving I'm like, I wish there was something going on. Because I know cyclists that go and do turkey trots as their one run a year because it's kind of the only thing happening. You take your family and all that is great. But we want to go ride our freaking bikes. So I am making a point to set a group ride early Thanksgiving morning from Dialed Health. It's going to be a road ride, 16 miles and like I think 1,500 feet of climbing up to the coffee shop. We do another 800 feet of climbing or so on the way home, but it's primarily downhill, a little bit more of an interesting route. And the thing is, if we get 
let's just say we have a group of 20 or so and we go to the coffee shop. I don't want everybody standing in line and clogging stuff up and it takes 45 minutes and yada, yada. So that's why I want to partner with the coffee shop so that we can have things separate, ready to go. We, we roll up, there's coffee already made for everyone. Maybe you have less options, but still we don't have to wait in line. Obviously it would be paid for. And then we even have Chaz Halbert, by the way, of Halbert Real Estate offering to pay for all this. Uh, so shout out to you, Chaz, because you know we're picking that single origin quality blend that's going to cost you some money. And we're going to bring the oat milk and the almond milk and all the options. But I also want like a pastry for people too. So, you know, that would be the idea is like we roll up there, Brady would come, document the whole thing. We get a great group photo. We have a little bit more of an interesting ride on the way home, a little more complex route. And we do this 30 mile, beautiful Thanksgiving day group ride. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? I think this is the best idea ever. I can't wait. I can't believe Chaz is buying pastries and I'm missing it. Such a bummer. <laughs> he doesn't know about the pastries yet. He, <laughs> he offered to buy coffee. I'm going to say he's buying pastries as well. Because, dude, I can't. If we're going to officially partner with the coffee shop, which hopefully I'll be talking yeah. to the owner of that shop today. We've already connected on text. But you got I got to have at least a cookie for everybody. I mean, come on now. I'll figure some details out for the Kansas one. I've already got the place. It's all in my head. I'll iron it out. I'll let you guys know. Okay, cool. F uh, figure it out because what I can do also is make sure you have a digital flyer made that you could post on your IG story. So Max from Slaps, uh, who's doing my truck wrap, by the way. Yeah, he could make the digital flyer for you just like he's doing it for me. And then we could post it make it official. And that's the announcements, you guys. I'll cut it off there so we don't go into more planning uh, behind the scenes, but you officially know how stuff happens now. <laughs> I dialed health. <laughs> it's that casual. All right, Dialed fam, that is it for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Derek, how can they help us? How can they help us? Can you give us the rundown on what the people can do? Now that they've filled their ear holes with so much happiness, how can they repay us? Ear holes is such a weird way to say how they listen to it. But yeah, your ear holes are now filled with our content. So thank you so much for that. That you just listening to the podcast helps a ton and sharing it with your friends is a huge help. You can do that on social media, screenshot or screen record that you're listening to the episode, post it to your Instagram story and tag Dialed Health. You could also leave us a five-star review in any, just say anything positive about the podcast, about the website. It is all super helpful to make us more searchable and for really other, for other cyclists to find us uh, because we have a very core steady audience and it's growing, but growing slowly. So we could definitely use your help. Now, the most important thing would be for you to go to dialedhealth.com and sign up and start using the strength training and more importantly, get the results from it. That's really what all of this is there to support those programs and you getting results and having the experience on the bike that everything is designed for. That's the mission. It's to really empower you guys through the strength training to make your riding experience the best it could possibly be. So go and check that out. Looking forward to next week's episode. And until then, start moving forward. <laughs>